Business, featuring honest dialogue that advances and inspires women entrepreneurs. Here's your host, Angel Livas. This week on The Women Behind the Business, our guests share why they dare to dream out loud and how their face drives them through storms that appear to be unsurmountable. You know me, I'm your host, Angel Livas, and I can't wait to introduce you to our amazing women in business. I'm so excited about today's show because we often stress the importance of balance, but we rarely have the opportunity to hear how other women excel in the workplace while maintaining an active presence at home. Well, our guest, Nicole Commissioning, is all about balance. She's a wife, a mother, a daughter, and a boss. She's making executive decisions around the clock. Nicole is SVP. <laughs> Of Dynamic Service Solutions, a rapid response company that finds the best measurable solutions for the most complex problems in engineering, health innovation, and project management. She's also a blogger, a television show host, and an advocate for women who dare to dream and live out their passion. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you so much, Angel. And you might hear her little accent from that Trinidadian. Yes, island girl. (laughs) Black woman immigrant. (laughs) I love it. Okay, so now when I asked you to join me on the show, I really didn't know a whole lot about your work um, outside of Dynamic Service Solutions. Right. Um, I was blown away by your blog, Mom in Motion. Oh, wow. So can you tell us a little bit about your inspiration for starting that blog? Hmm. Um, Back in 2010, um, having four kids who are a blended family, my oldest, um, I met her when she was four, and um, she came to live with us, and uh, I had uh, my oldest son, who is 23 now, just graduated from Howard, my daughter, who's 21, who will be graduating in May from Xavier um, University in Louisiana, and my 13-year-old my star, my 13-year-old son, he's the baby in the family, the true baby. While raising them um, back in 2010, I felt like I was alone. No one else would share their story. And when you go on social media, everyone has perfect kids. Mm -hmm. And at the time, I had a teenage daughter who, when you tell her to put away the dishes in the dishwasher, is giving me attitude. Uh And I'm like, where did this come from? So she was, you know, she wasn't like that before. And all of a sudden, she became a whole nother species. Mm -hmm. And then um, the earthquake occurred in Haiti. And um, then there was Troy Davis that was going on, and she was determined that she wanted to be actively involved in that. I think at the time she would have been either 12 or 13. So I decided there's so much that's going on with me and no one that I seem that I can talk to. So I said, let me write it. It's therapeutic. Mm -hmm. And I started writing it, and I felt like other moms need that support. Mm -hmm. Because if I need it, other moms would need it. So if only one person started to communicate with me, I would be like, all right, I have someone that I can talk to openly and not be ashamed mm-hmm. or afraid, you know, at the expense of putting my kids and my husband on blast. Right. So, <laughs> um, so I decided to write and the, re- the response was resounding. I mean, I only kept it on Facebook at the time. I didn't have an IG and sometimes I would put it on Twitter, but for the most part on Facebook and people would inbox me and say, thanks for sharing. And I'm like, okay, so the more they responded, there was a need. I figured there was a need and I kept it up. But my blogging is more of a hobby than it was for generating income. Mm -hmm. It was more of a hobby and my way of reaching out to other women and other moms, because mom in motion, I'm always on the move. Mm -hmm. 
I was always on the move. So that was my inspiration. Now, back, I know you said in 2010, this is when you started the blog. But in 2012, you went through what I would call a transformational period. Um, (laughs) You (laughs) would call it mildly. To say the least. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Talk to us a little bit about what you had to endure in 2012. In 2012, our business, well, before 2012, it happened in 2008, it started. Okay, wait a second. You said our business. Whose business is it? My husband, Darnell, and myself. Okay. Yes. So you the boss, for real. Yeah, for but real, But we just real. have his yeah. name up. Oh, I just want to make sure I got this right. <laughs> yeah, we, but we're, we're good. We're better together. Okay. How about that? We're yes. a good team. Um um, Darnell's emphasis is Darnell's background is engineering. He's an electrical engineer and power systems is his thing, mm-hmm. um, distribution. But because of his electrical engineering or his engineering background, he's a problem solver. Mm-hmm. So I'm there to also make the moves and for the operations. But he's man, he has a he has a vision and ideas that will blow your mind. Okay, He really does. I'm very proud of my husband in case you couldn't tell. <laughs> So we're a good team. Go we ahead, work out Finn. better together. But um, back in 2012, um, the transformation, I guess I'll have to go back to 2008 when we experienced a recession. Our business took a really big hit. Mm-hmm. I mean, the type of hit that I tell people, we live in a seven-bedroom house that had no heat, that type of hit. Mm-hmm. And all the kids sleeping in our bedroom, it was, if you read my son's... Um, college entrance exam he talked about how much he loved his family but he loved going to school because it was warm (laughs) you know make you want to cry right right but um 2012 came there was a period between 2008 2009 and there's so many things that occurred and we don't have time for all of that on this show so I'll just cut to the chase um I took on a job so that we didn't have to give up our business. And my husband kept writing proposals. And at night when I go home, we'll work on proposals. And um, we eventually won in April. Well, the funny thing about it is that when we won one of the, um, con- we were awarded a contract, I picked up my bags and I said, okay, I'm leaving in June. <laughs> he was like, you're leaving? Yeah, I said, I'm not working anymore. I'm coming back to work um, on the business. And he's like, well, can we get squared away for it? <laughs> I'm like, no, it'll work out. We'll figure it out. And um, But wasn't your son about to go to college? My son was now? getting ready to go to college. Um, and we didn't have it because, you know, even though we won the contract in June, we didn't get any work on it until November. Mm-hmm. But the interesting thing with my son and with all our kids, we tell them, you got to push through. All the adversities, all the storms you may face, we got to look for that little glint in the sky. Sometimes there's a little clearing. That's what you got to hold on to for hope. Mm -hmm. So um, he said not going was not an option. Mm -hmm. He was dying to get to Howard. Not going was not an option. So he started. My sister helped us. Um, My entire family was always very helpful in supporting us. We couldn't afford to get him books. So he would borrow his friend's books and he would make copies and he did what he had to do Mm -hmm. because he was determined to succeed. And I'm really, really proud. I'm proud of all my kids, all four of them. And um, Sandy hit. And when Sandy hit, we were called within 24 hours to report to the contract that we had at the time with FEMA was to report anywhere CONUS, continental United States, within 24 hours or 
48 outside the continental U.S. And um, we responded. We responded quickly, um, efficiently, effectively. And we had 200 people on the ground in Sandy in New York. And we did shelter mass care. Mm-hmm. We were responsible for the mass care of the um, persons in the shelter. So that's what we did. Um, in 11 days, we made more money than we had made in three, four years. So um, it, it was. we were resilient. We were persistent. And um, we hung in there because faith was at the center of it all. You know, the journey was difficult, but we've been in business since 99. Mm-hmm. And we've seen ups and downs. And back in 99, um, back in 2000, I, we were the only black woman-owned engineering, furnishing, and installation company for Verizon. Okay, I'm confused. Yeah. You said the only woman-owned, but I thought you just told me that your husband owns the company. Yeah, that's with DSS. Now, this is our third... When you've been taught how to catch a... When you've been taught how to catch a fish, you will eat. (laughs) And when you have gotten that taste of business ownership, Mm -hmm. you don't want to go back. Mm -hmm. And um, so the business started um, in 99 with me recruiting... Okay. That's how we started. I was a re- it was a recruiting firm. And then it evolved into an engineering furnishing and installation company for Verizon. Wow. Yeah. And we have come full circle because we currently do work for the Verizon Innovative Learning for Young Black Boys. And mm-hmm. our company is one of the contributing companies that helps with the with their curriculum. Now that previous contract um, just for context for our listeners, you essentially went from barely making it to having a over a million dollar contract. A windfall. Yeah, it was five million, actually. Seven million, sorry, over five years. So that's amazing. It is. It is. Um, but keeping it in context, we've made more than that before. Well, no. So, right. we, so it... Keeping it in context is was that was all God, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. If we keep it real, mm-hmm. from not having to a windfall. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things that sparked, we got an exceptional rating in CPARS. That's um, where you are, rated. quote unquote, um, rated or mm-hmm. judged by the government, and mm-hmm. it's the highest rating you can get. As a result of that, the government um, they were referring us to other companies. For other work, mm-hmm. um, so so how do you make it through those difficult times where you go from having these multi million dollar contracts to you know almost feeling like okay, where's the money gonna come from? Because I got bills to pay. How, <laughs> you know how do you make it through through those times with faith? Um, keep working, keep pushing through, believing in yourself. Believing that um, there's a purpose greater than yours, mm-hmm. um, staying encouraged, and it's one of the hardest things. I think having a business partner and a life partner that is so grounded helps because there are days when I'm down and he's up here, mm-hmm. and there are days when he's down and I'm up here. So it's a balance. It's a balancing act. Not to mention. We have to push because we got kids. Mm. So not only do we have kids to feed, but we have kids who are watching us. This is a whole nother generation. So we don't want them to see us quit or give up. That is not an option. Mm-hmm. So neither one of them can come to us and say, I'm giving up. It's not, it's, it's not an option. They would never even shape their lips to say that. <laughs> you know? So it's just not an option. And um, 
having them here is to be testimony that they understand. They, they know this. We have meetings as a family. We call it the corporation. Um, we have, we're building a legacy. You see, you may have a downtime in business, but you're still building. Mm-hmm. During my downtime, I was able to pursue a dream. I always wanted a TV show. Mm-hmm. So I did that talk show, Life in Balance. During the downtime, I even had a nonprofit, mm-hmm. um, Pathway to Healthy Families, mm-hmm. where I would, um, it's, you know, we go to feed the homeless, but it's more than just the homeless. It's doing good mm-hmm. where good needs to be done. Mm-hmm. People who are in need, we're there for them. You know, during Christmas, we bring cheer to the neighborhood. We go out and sing. So we may not have, we may not have heat, but we still have a heck of a lot more than some may have. And that's how you keep it in perspective. Now, once upon a time, you said that you lived in fear of dreaming. Yeah. How did you overcome that fear? I think the period that I went through in hardship with the business, I had this thing in my head that I have nothing to lose. You know, you you go through this period of pride where you don't want people to know that you're having a tough time and you want to keep up appearances and you want to do all the things that you used to do, but you can't. And then you realize, well, for me, it was a realization that when I started blogging and I started writing and I started getting responses from people saying, from women saying, oh, my gosh, you know, that helped me because I think that everybody has such a fabulous life. Mm-hmm. And then I, I started to be more authentic. I started to tap into who I am, mm-hmm. not the perception of what others may have. Yes, I'm a mother. Yes, I'm a wife. I'm a sister. I'm a daughter. And I'm a friend. But above all, I am God's child. Mm-hmm. And he, I, I can't lie to him. I can't put up a front to him. So, you know, sometimes I use this as an example. One of the things I used to do when I post on Facebook, I would say, lacing up, getting ready to go run. When I did that, I, they hold me accountable. I better run. Right. I can't results? front. <laughs> I can't front, you know. So I can't hide from him. Mm-hmm. And there was this period where I was like, Well, God is seeing me. Other people may not see what I'm doing, but he does. Mm. And the more that I not only live my truth, as it's called now, or be authentic, the more I did it, is the more fulfilling my life became. Mm -hmm. Because I was free. You know, okay, so I used to go to the supermarket and I have to put on eyeliner before I go. Because I was like, I look like a ghost. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) What the heck is that? (laughs) You know? So, you know, it, it... I wore a mask for so many years mm-hmm. because I felt that that was what was expected. And that's what made me me. But that wasn't me. So when you rip the mask away and you, you, you're free. Mm-hmm. So I'm free. I don't have to answer to anybody but God. And I think that a lot of times people are in that boat, especially with social media. A lot of times people think that they have to keep up this persona or kind of show every little thing that they're doing yeah they can't go to lunch anymore without yo like yeah. you know look at me yeah. and i'm doing this yeah. so what does it feel like outside of freeing but in that moment the first time it happened where you kind of relinquished all like it was scary cares. it was scary mm-hmm. it wasn't easy saying it doesn't it didn't mean that it was easy i felt vulnerable i felt naked and exposed um, but once I got over that, you know, after having, you know, a few days 
in my feelings, as they say, after having a few days of that, you know, I was like, shoot, I am enough. You know, I don't have time for all this. I got kids who are watching me, who are impressionable. And more importantly, I want to be able to look at myself in the mirror and say, girl, damn, you good. You good. You got this. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Now, a lot of times um, people become deflated or even feel de- defeated Yeah, after they're told no. <laughs> You're talking about after? You feel it before you even get to the no. <laughs> no one likes to feel rejection. Mm-hmm. No one does. Mm-hmm. Um, no one does. But this is funny. I learned that from my children in their younger years And as they got older, they started having that angst about the rejection. Mm. But my son, my older son and the the younger one, when you tell them no, it's like you must not have understood what I was asking you. (laughs) You know, they don't give up. Mm -hmm. And that's a lesson that I learned from it. The kids teach me every day. When I say no, they come with another way they shape the question. No, they shape it. You know, I'm getting a little I was getting a little slow in my little island in my island parenting, because, you know, you say no and you shut it down. Right. My kids didn't understand. No, you must not have understood what I asked you. <laughs> so they, the persistence, and I would look at them and say, hmm, if I'm in authority and they, I'm telling them no, but they keep persisting because this is something that's important to them, then I can do it. Not to mention my husband, when I see him work a room, I used to be the timid one, mm-hmm. believe it or not. My friends may listen to this and say, you timid, but I used to be the timid one. And we would go to events and the way that he would approach things and shape questions, it never posed the question to get a no, the way he posed the question. I haven't learned that yet. I still want a yes or no. I don't want any in between. I don't want to wonder. Very black and white. Yeah, I, I, need, I don't need the gray. I need yes or no. And, but even if you tell me no, I'm like, okay. That wasn't meant for me because I have this firm belief that what is for me is for me. Mm -hmm. So I don't get that anxiety that I used to get when I'm told no. And when I'm told no, I figure it out. I come from a legacy of women entrepreneurs. And it's not that they were big business. My grandmother was, um, she used to wash and iron Mm -hmm. um, for someone. And my other grandmother was a seamstress and she was also a babysitter. And... um, my mom, who went to school after I had gotten older and did nursing, they are my inspiration. And if they're told, if my mom was told no, my dad said, we can't afford to buy this, she figured out a way to build it. My mom is badass. <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying, yes. she figured out a way. So in addition to my kids teaching me, if I take the time to sit still and think about the elders before me, Mm -hmm. I know that there's nothing that I can't accomplish that is within my realm. And if I get bugged in my spirit about something that I should do, I know that God got me because he wouldn't give me that idea for me to fail. Mm -hmm. So, you know, so even if you told me, no, well, then you weren't a divine connection. Angel is probably that divine connection. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, you know, I don't worry about it anymore. And it really is. People ask me, how do you manage to be so positive? It's practice. Mm-hmm. You know, you keep doing it so long that it just becomes second Habit. nature. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't always this it wasn't always this way. And I'm sure there would come times where 
that I would be uncertain mm -hmm. and have ruminate in some self-doubt, but it doesn't come as often as it used to. So you talk about how you grew up in an environment where you saw um, women in roles of entrepreneurs, mm -hmm. right? How do you create an environment where you involve your children? You, um, how do you integrate your children into the business? Hmm. <laughs> wow, it would be it would have been great to have them in here. For some reason, at the age of eight, my older son always said he wanted to do finance. Mm -hmm. At the age of six, my daughter um, said she wanted to become a doctor. And because my dad had a heart attack, she said, I'm going to become a doctor so I can take care of granddad. He's since passed. But somehow God has aligned everything. My son, Samson, and my daughter, Sierra, are constantly our advisors. They are in the business. Mm -hmm. Samson advises us on the finance side mm -hmm. so that he ensures that the money we make is legacy for our great, 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 great grandchildren. It mm -hmm. will always be there. Sierra is in public health now. She didn't. She changed from pre-med to public health, mm -hmm. which is along the lines of some of the work that we're doing currently. And she's our advisor on that, and she's creating programs for it. So they are intricately involved. My young engineer, Simon, gives his input. He helps with proposals. When we do proposals, like sometimes he helps with the charts. And my oldest daughter worked in the business and... Um, helped us. I mean, this is theirs. Mm -hmm. What we do here, what we're building, we're building not just for our children or grandchildren, but our nieces, our nephews, you know, everyone, my sister, my sister's involved in our business. So everyone has to have, because the thing is, is that when you're doing a business, you're not doing it in secret. Mm -hmm. Everyone has to learn. We have to give everyone a piece so that they can understand and have buy-in so that they can have a rising tide lifts all boats. Mm -hmm. So if we're rising, you're rising with us. So if we show you what we're doing and how we're doing it, it not only builds family, but it builds community. Mm -hmm. What good is it for you to build and you're building away from everyone else, right. especially your children? Right. And this generation of children, wow, it's just amazing um, how much they care about sharing with others and our business is also altruistic in nature, even though it's a profit business, you know. So they're there with us. They we we have they have no choice but to be involved, and they have they want to be involved. It's not us forcing them. When we started this business, Sierra was three, mm -hmm. and um, now she's twenty one. So all she's ever known was her parents in business. Simon, born in 2004, all he ever knew, he was born into the business. Mm -hmm. So he didn't know anything else. So, you know, I expect each of them to have their own someday. Recently, you won, um, your company won a contract. Yes. Pretty large government contract. Mm -hmm. um, would you mind sharing with our audience a little bit about this journey that brought you into this multi-million dollar, well, billion dollar opportunity? Well, the thing that brought us to this stage was persistence. And I have to say, it was a vision. This was one of the situations where my husband doesn't understand what no means. Because we have done this, we've been doing it for two, three years. We've been going after the same work, um, the same task. And um, eventually the persistence 
paid off. You know, um, it was right timing and right alignment. And it's um, taking care of kids. And it's something that we have a desire to do. And especially me being an immigrant. And um, my husband growing up um, in Bed-Stuy, growing up in the project. So um, it couldn't get more American than that, you know, <laughs> in terms of an American story. But it was important for us to stay consistent, be persistent, and keep pushing, not giving up. We got other things along the way, but God aligned it in such a way that we are the only small business on this IDIQ. And how much is the IDIQ for? The IDIQ is different sectors. Um, each sector is has a max of five hundred million. We won all three sectors with four other five other companies. Awesome. I I mean to me <laughs> I think that that is the epitome of perseverance. Yeah. Um and really building community because now your son is managing a well, he has his own. He he work. No, he doesn't have his own business, but he works in New York. Uh-huh. But he's our advisor. He's one of our advisors. Still, he's, <laughs> it's it's all a part of the family. It's all a part yeah. of the community where everyone yeah. helped get to this point. And yeah. like you said, it was a rising tide, so that everyone comes up out winning. And his faith. You know, um, one of the things that is so so important in um, one of the things for me is so important to maintain faith. It's it's just the cornerstone of our life. We have to remain faithful. We have to work hard. We have to be prayerful. And um, we have to do it together. Mm. Do it together. It is very important. Um, if we don't work together, it's fragmented. And you don't have as great an impact but when you were, when we work together, and we've learned that over the years, April would be 25 years we've been married, and March 19th would be 19 years in business. So it took a lot of push and pull, mm-hmm. took a lot of competing forces, it took a lot of pain mm-hmm. and a lot of hardship, but in the end, our faith brought us through. And I think this is the perfect segue into bringing our next guest in, Miss Crystal Berger, who will be joining us in studio with Nicole. But before we do, it's time to get tacky with Tech Talk. It is always a pleasure to have Angela Dingle in studio because I know I'm going to learn something amazing about technology. So what you got for us today? Today, we're going to talk about the Calm app. Calm. Sounds zenful. It is sinful. Ah. It's a mindfulness app. Okay, talk, talk to us. Let us know. How, how is this important for women in business? It's important for women in business because we have to take care of our mind, body, and soul. If any of you have heard me speak before, you know I have a pretty, routine, a pretty stringent morning routine that includes some form of meditation. And meditation is important for us because women's value that we bring to the marketplace is centered around our emotional intelligence. One of the components of emotional intelligence is self-control and self-awareness. I need to. And a meditation app can help you to get in um, in touch with the things that you're experiencing and help you to control your behavior in a in a specific scenario. <laughs> so, how does the Calm app do all of this? How does it help you 
develop a sense of calmness. Mm-hmm. So it is a, it's a mindfulness app, so it's meant to teach you uh, how to meditate. Uh, there are different forms of meditation, and this one is mindfulness. Each day you're presented with a 10, maybe 10 to 13-minute um meditation that you can choose that one or they have series so if you are having difficulty focusing they have seven days of focus or if you're struggling with happiness it might be 21 days of happiness and there is a guided meditation so there's a instructor there that kind of tells you to sit back and relax and take deep breaths and walks you through you can do timed meditations that are as short as one minute or you can do longer meditations that are up to 10 15 20 minutes it's really up to you so it's really no excuse no there is no excuse (laughs) because I was like I thought you were going to say like oh they're like you know 10 minutes and it's hard to find sometimes carve out 10 minutes even um, for something as I guess good as meditation Um, so knowing that I can allocate one minute and say okay this is me time to at least get my myself calm and centered and prepared for my day yeah you can choose you can choose a, a, either a little bit of time or a lot of time and what you'll learn once you start doing the meditation that is is that you can carve out a few minutes mm-hmm. um, even if it's they've got walking meditation so you don't necessarily have to be sitting still and you can do it in the morning you can do it in the afternoon a couple minutes before you go into a difficult meeting that you might be facing just carve out a little bit of time for yourself now does it have music some you know, of, along with it, or how does that all work out? Some of the some of the meditations have music. Some of them don't. You can do silence. You can have it where um, where it just gives you a bell to bring you back and center you on your breathing and staying focused on the topic at hand. So, variety of different methods where someone's talking in your ear or playing some music or just silence. Okay, awesome. I will definitely have to try that out. And thank you for bringing it to our attention. And um, we look forward to having you back next week to hear what you have to share with us about tech. Um, Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. All right. To learn more about the Calm app, be sure to check us out online at WBBTalk.com. Welcome back. Our next guest, Crystal Berger, a journalist contributor for Black Enterprise, Media Bistro, and Fox News Opinions, is also the author of Be Extraordinary, claiming a life of purpose, passion, and prosperity, which I think is an amazing title, and I can't wait to learn more about it. Uh, Crystal, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Angel, for having me in studio today. Absolutely. So, Crystal, your book ties in perfectly with what Nicole and I have been talking about earlier. Now, of course, I'm very curious about the inspiration behind you writing this book. So it really was an act of God, I promise you. (laughs) So I was asked to speak at a women's conference in D.C. It's a huge women's conference, over 2,000 women. And so they had me fill out my speaker form and they said, well, Crystal, will you be selling anything? And I was like... Well, this is going to be 2,000 people there. I need to sell something, right? <laughs> and literally, um, I had been struggling with uh, putting together a book because I knew I wanted to share my story, but I didn't know in what capacity I wanted to do it. And so um, I remember flipping through my journal and saying, Crystal, do you really want to be this transparent? And I had been keeping a journal since I was 15 years old. So everything was in this composition notebook. And I started to think to myself, well, Crystal, what would you have told the 15-year-old Crystal or the 15-year-old Crystal or the uh, 20-year-old Crystal or the 25-year-old Crystal? And then um, 
I just decided that, you know, I would have given this girl advice at different stages and different phases in her life. And so I just put together a book that had all these little anecdotal stories, not too much about my story, but just little pieces of it. And then I gave like hashtagable tips and places you could journal. I put scriptures in the back that address different issues that you face, fear, self-doubt, all those issues that we face as women and men in life. And just to give people some support to really be extraordinary and be the best person that they could be. So what's one thing that you intentionally did not put in this book? That I did not put in the book? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Intentionally. Because we always, when we're writing something, we're like, "Mm, they ain't going in this. (laughs) So... (laughs) <laughs> yes, it, it, it was it was a few, you know, there were a few of those stories that didn't go in. Um, but Angel, you know, I grew up in Baltimore mm-hmm. and um, growing up in Baltimore, single parent family, my mother worked 2 p.m. to 10 p.m. every single day. Um, and that was from the time I was eight years old. So my brother and I were really like our own parents. You know, my mother provided for us, but we had to do our own homework, cook our own food, put ourselves to bed, lay our clothes out for the next day. Mm-hmm. And so that left a lot of room for error. And so when my parents divorced, um, I kind of looked outside of the home for security and safety and the things that I kind of was lacking growing up. And I dated a gentleman um, who was very heavy in the streets. Um, and he actually right now, and this is something that I didn't put in the book that I'm sharing for the first time on air. Yay. Um, you know, I was a girl who's struggling with self-esteem and self-doubt and didn't know my worth and my value. And he really represented that false sense of security that I was looking for since my dad had left and also too um, he would provide as well and so um, I started dating this gentleman when I was 14 long story short um, he ended up a very dangerous gentleman he's actually serving two life sentences in jail right now and I know that only God protected me from the Mm. things that were attached to him Um, because in that process of searching I knew that I didn't want to be in that life but it provided me with a false sense of security that a lot of young women look for when they come from single parent families Um, And I'm just thankful because what I learned from that experience is is that, you know, God will cover you when you have people that are rooted in the word and that are praying for you. But also, too, you have to know your value and you determine that nobody else can teach you how to love yourself. You have to learn that, you know, Um, and so. That's something that's not in the book, but it will be in the second book. Um, just a little bit more about him. But just knowing that your worth is the the main thing. It, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's something that I didn't learn until I was in my mid twenties. How did you transition out of that relationship? <laughs> Ooh. Um It was a culmination of factors. Um, Poor treatment was one of them, but also too. uh, One time we were in the car together, and um, something happened. Got pulled over by the police, and I thought about if I go to jail right now (laughs) with this person, Right. right? If I go to jail right now with this person, everything that my mother was sacrificing her life for, all of the prayers of my grandmother, you know, all the legacy of my family would be changed. And so in that moment, I realized that this was a dangerous person um, and that I needed and wanted more for my life. And so with that comes... Be extraordinary, right? Yes. Be extraordinary. And in being extraordinary, to me, when I hear that, I think of knowing your wealth, knowing your worth, finding it, Mm -hmm. and sharing it, Mm -hmm. and not being apologetic in doing so. Um, What would you say was the thing that helped you 
get on the path of pursuing your dreams in journalism um, and as a writer? Well, there were a lot of failures that came along the way. You know, a lot of my life was figuring it out on my own um, just because we didn't, you know, my mom, again, great woman, but she just didn't know. Like she didn't have the, she, she college graduate, but they didn't talk growing up. You know, mm-hmm. she was first generation. She was the first person in my family to graduate college. So it was all about, you know, go out, do what you need to do, be strong, and that's life, Mm -hmm. you know? And so for me, I took a journey of, um, when I came out of college, I taught high school in Washington, D.C. at H.D. Woodson Senior High School for two years. Uh, And then I was on the other side of the coin, right? Even though I grew up in public schools in Baltimore, I didn't know how real the systemic issues are that young people that grow up in poverty face until you're on the other side of the coin. Meaning I was teaching ninth grade English. I didn't have textbooks for the first three months of school to teach my students. I didn't have textbooks. When I tested my students and once I received my textbooks that were written on the 10th grade level, the majority of my students read between the third and the sixth grade. So you come into that environment and you're told to teach the children, Mm -hmm. but you don't have the tools and the resources to teach them. So I kind of got a little disheartened and I said, I can't do this, God. I got to go do something now. Something else is something bigger, greater, better out here. And so I ended up going to law school and that's how I met our connection. Mm -hmm. Um, And being in Texas, I really had those come to Jesus moments, right? Mm -hmm. I remember going down, I flew down to Houston, Texas with one suitcase, didn't have a place to stay, slept with a friend for three months on her floor, the first three months of law school. And I remember um, laying on the floor and having this moment like, God, what is it that you want me to do? You know, like, what is it that you want me to do? And I heard some whispers from my grandmother who had passed maybe four years before I went to law school. And it was just about, you know, just really be the best woman that you can be. Someone with integrity. Right. Because I can I can honestly say that I wasn't I didn't have the best self-esteem. I didn't have the best self-worth. And I had poor judgment just because I was very um, uh, independent young woman. And so when I finally decided to write the book, I'm really skipping a lot of my story. Mm -hmm. Um, But I ended up failing out of law school (laughs) because, one, I was trying to go to law school, work in a bar at night, pay my bills. And most people struggle with um, most people struggle the first year because they tell you not to work. I didn't have an option of not working. It was like, if you're going to be in Houston, Texas, you're going to have to make some money. And so I was working at a bar at night and and going to law school in the daytime. And I remember going through that failure um, and I had to go back to Baltimore. And when I went back home, um, I ended up living with my dad for the first time since I was seven years old. At this point, I'm 26, 27 years old. Mm -hmm. And it was so much anger, so much pain, so much resentment, so many unanswered questions about the relationship and who I was as a woman because of the disconnect with my dad. And so um, I remember being extremely depressed and and laying in the bed and really contemplating suicide. Like, really, like, this is not the life that I want. Car had been repossessed, no money in the bank, fell out of law school. Everything was kind of in shambles for me. And I was laying in the bed and I heard a voice say to me, read your journal. Literally, read your journal. This is in the moment of I'm thinking of taking my own life. And so I remember flipping through my journal and I went back to a page from the late 90s. And it said, I want to be like the girl on BET. 
And it wasn't like a video vixen. It was Ananda Lewis who used to host Teen mm-hmm. Summit. Mm-hmm. And I remember laying in the bed just crying, like bawling, crying, like, oh, my God, like, how am I going to do this? Mm-hmm. And so at the time, I was taking a course through unemployment, which was offered through the state. It was called Women Entrepreneurs of Baltimore. Taking this class and my classmate who sat next to me, he was starting a digital magazine. He comes in class one day. Oh, my God, Crystal, I need somebody to go and interview some of the Baltimore Ravens. And I was cute, you know, and I was like, "Okay, I'll go do it. Rich men, I'll go. (laughs) I love it. Just being honest. So I go and I do my very first interview. My very first interview was with Ray Lewis. Mm hmm. Wow. It was crazy. The interview was trash. It was horrible. But, you know, it got me an opportunity to interview all the other Ravens. Mm-hmm. They would come to me to do their celebrity weekends and things like that. And so my best friend came to one interview. Terrell Suggs was uh, the hosting a sickle cell awareness event. And she said she saw me doing my thing. And she said, Crystal, this is it. This is your zone. This is what you've been called to do. Now, mind you, a couple of months before I had just read that I wanted to be like the girls on BET. So I started to call local stations to try to do internships but I had been out of college for so long Mm -hmm. that they were saying no you can't do an internship you can't do an internship so I found a local broadcasting school called Broadcasting Institute of Maryland Um, I went there so I was running my business in the daytime I was going to the Broadcasting Institute of Maryland midday and then at night I was interning in the sports department because that's the only department that stayed open late Mm -hmm. cutting tape Mm -hmm. during basketball season Mm -hmm. so that was my day I had 10 to 15 hour days every single day for six months and then I just made a conscious decision I said if I'm gonna do this I'm gonna do it you know and I had been out of school so long I just made a decision not to go to a small market so I only applied to LA Chicago New York Miami and I hounded the HR people at every major network so much until Fox finally was like girl just come (laughs) (laughs) just come I love it but I think that your tenacity um it, it, it's showing and proving the importance of not giving up. And it's that emotional intelligence that you, you mentioned earlier. It's like you have to tap into something. If you're not given the resources, if you're not blessed to have those opportunities, then you have to sometimes go somewhere with inside yourself that you don't even understand. Like like you said, your husband doesn't understand. No, I don't either. Yeah. Like no has never been an option for mm-hmm. me. No is maybe and maybe is yes. Yeah. And yes is like we're going to kick the door down and right. we're really going to do our thing. And so having that emotional intelligence that you can tap into resilience, self-awareness, and things like that really just helped on a journey. So how do you construct a positive outlook plan? Mm. Well, the first thing is you have to really identify what you are created to do. Mm -hmm. Like I knew at 15 that I was created to be a journalist. I just didn't know how to do it. Right. Mm -hmm. So the first thing is looking at your gifts, looking at the things that you're innately great at doing. Like I always was a writer. I always loved to write. Like since I was a little girl, I wrote my first play when I was in the third grade. My first book when I was in the fifth grade. Mm -hmm. Careers A to Z was the book. (laughs) You know, but, you know, it's like identifying that gift that thing that you do well, right? Like that's the first step. And then after you identify that gift, then you say, okay, well, where can this gift actually help me have an impact in somebody's life, mm-hmm. right? Because I do come from a servant leadership background. You know, um, my mom was in recreation and so she spent more time with other people's children than she spent with her own children, but it was always about giving back to someone else. Mm-hmm. And so once you identify that gift and then you say, okay, where can this gift be led to help someone else? 
And then after that, I always tell people, go to the Google <laughs> and see where can you make money doing this, right? Like, how can you turn this into a profitable career and a life that you want to live? And so it's just about making that plan from there. So what are some different things that our listeners can do to stay motivated? Because Everybody doesn't have, and and you even almost had your breaking point, Mm -hmm. right? So how do you advise people or encourage people to tap into that inner, and and Nicole, you kind of mentioned this earlier, that little Mm -hmm. glimmer of light. Mm -hmm. How how do you... You have to have positive messages reinforcing you every single day. Depends. I don't know what your base is. Like I said, I'm a Christian, and so I listen to a lot of sermons, a lot of faith-based thought leaders every single day. I go on YouTube. If it's something I'm dealing with in the moment, depression, it could be um, strategizing for the new year. And I actually listen to that. Like, I can consume my brain Mm -hmm. with positive messages because you can really tune out the negativity and create your own reality even in a negative space right right? so that's one thing that I would say you should do Um, also too when you have these negative influences coming into your life people who write down their goals are 90% more likely to achieve them than people who don't so just by taking that effort to write down something that you want to accomplish it's getting you one step closer and I tell people I am that fake being Mary Jane because I have those sticky notes Mm -hmm. all over my apartment, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I say positive affirmations to myself Mm -hmm. all the time, right? Working in the news business, working at Fox News, um, I have a scripture that I keep on my computer, Psalms 5110, um, creating me a clean heart and renew a right spirit in me every single day, just because you don't know what's going to come at Mm -hmm. you. And so you have to have those messages constantly being fed into your spirit if you want to see the positive things come to life. Because just like we know you can speak positive things into existence, you can also speak those negative things as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we have now come to the time in the show where we do our moments from the valley. Um, This is when we share valley moments that you didn't think um, you would overcome. Hmm. Um, And so, Nicole, we are going to have you go first. Which one do you want? (laughs) (laughs) I know that's right. I've had many valley moments. But I I, I talked about the one with... um, um, financial um, downfall. And, you know, you keep getting knocked down until you learn, until you learn to stay still and listen. So now my new prayer has been over the past two years was for, is for wisdom, wisdom of Solomon. Mm. I don't want, I don't pray for money. I pray for wisdom. I figure if I have the wisdom, I'll figure out how to get it. Um, so one of the I've had so many valleys, and like I told you, I'm working on on my book. But one of the things that I, one of the moments I think that I went through with not having, um, and it wasn't so much that I didn't think I would get out of it. You know, it wasn't that I didn't think I would get, but how long can I stay in it? Right. More so than I know I would get out. Right. But how long would I stay not having, depending on my family to bring us meals depending, knowing that we were the strong family in the group financially Mm. and then being knocked down. So um, it's almost like a fall from grace. But what it was, what I learned, it was falling into grace because when you have nothing to hold on to, all you have to do is hold on. All you could do is hold on to the one who holds on to nothing Mm. because he is the I am. That was um, my valley, not having. Having kids in private schools and can't pay. And don't, the option wasn't 
to pull them out. I never thought of it. And um, But staying faithful, you know, it was so bad that I had to fall on the floor on the altar before him in prostate, asking him to show me what it is he have for me. Mm. What is your vision for my, what is your will for my life? What do you want of me? And it was that letting go and letting God, it was that surrender mm. that helped me to get the vision of what needed to be done. So continue working, Nicole. Continue doing those proposals. Yeah, you got knocked down. You got knocked down first year. Yeah, you got knocked down second year. And one of the things that I found while we were in the valley is God would give you a little something to keep you going and you get hopeful and you're like, oh, we're going to get this. And it keeps you going for a couple months and then you don't get it. Mm -hmm. And then you go again, (laughs) like a little mouse scurrying. And then you go again and, you know, and then, oh, I got one little piece of cheese here. Okay. And And then it keeps you sustained and he keeps you sustained. Keep reading scripture. Keep listening to music that would uplift and inspire but giving back. Mm. One of the biggest joys in my life, not just giving back to the women, but visiting the imprisoned Mm. and feeding the homeless and mentoring children. I gave back so much that I can't imagine my life without giving back. I can't imagine. And it's not about money. It's about my time. And that helped me climb out of the valley. Just knowing that you think your situation bad, there are others there. You you have your kids in private school. You can't pay. There are people who don't even have a roof over their head. The kids can't even leave home to go to school. So you have to keep it in perspective. perspective. Absolutely. Crystal? <laughs> <laughs> well, like Nicole said, you know, there are a lot of um, those in the valley moments. And, you know, I kind of touched on a couple of them. But I think I'll go to one that was a little unique for me. Um, growing up, all black all black city, Baltimore, all black high school, all black college, HBCU, um, then going to a very diverse law school. So my whole experience was all black. Right. (laughs) Um, And then when life finally got me on the journey of journalism, I remember going to Fox and being the only black woman in the newsroom and feeling so isolated, like not having anyone to talk to. Like mm-hmm. I remember walking into the bathroom and going every single day at the same time just to pray, just to pray, because that's who I was talking to. <laughs> like God was my friend. Thank you, God. God was my friend. Um, and I remember going into my apartment because I live I live in Jersey and I remember uh, falling to my knees like, God, why do you have me here? Like, why is this the place that said yes? You know, where I literally feel like I'm so disconnected and I feel like I have to prove myself mm-hmm. every single moment of the day. Meaning I show up 20 minutes early for work. I do 10 times more. I get 10 times less recognition. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm constantly reaffirming to people that I deserve to be in the room. And so my in the valley moment was just that, like my transition into the news business. I had such a huge um, learning curve because, mind you, I came from being an intern in a local market to uh, the number one cable news network in, in the nation, in the number one market. So all of my colleagues had 
had 20 and 30 years of experience, Mm -hmm. you know, even in the industry and knowing the news. I mean, it was just like a constant whirlwind of things. And then you talk about living in New York and everything is 10 times more expensive. And so I just remember falling to my knees and asking God, you know, well, why is it? And he said, I want to use you to use media to bring souls to me. Mm-hmm. And I said, not me, God, <laughs> not the girl who dated a drug dealer and, you know, not the girl who failed out of law school, not the girl who never felt beautiful because I never felt black girl beautiful because I was tall and skinny when I was young. You know, all those dark skinned black women, all those different things that we deal with hang ups. Yeah. And um, I just remember God saying that to me and me being like Nicole said, surrendering, said, I'm not going to fight it. I'm not going to be sitting at Fox still sending out my resume. <laughs> <laughs> Because I'm at the network and I'm literally sending out my like my first three months I'm at work and I'm still sending out resumes. And God has said, I have you here because this is where I need you. Right. You know, and it and, and then the opportunities just started to flow in. Mm-hmm. I became a corporate representative for the company. So four uh four minorities were chosen every year to go and represent the company. So I was one of the four one year and I nice. met everyone from the CEO of Goya to Dunkin' Donuts to being at conferences, speaking, writing a book, just having this huge platform that you can't even fathom because it's like I'm a little black girl from Baltimore City that's supposed to be the statistic, you know? Yeah. And now I'm speaking with Zig Ziglar International. I write for Forbes and Black Enterprise and all these different crazy things that you just can't understand. So my come to my valley moment was just feeling like isolated, like so many women do. And and, and not saying that men don't have those feelings. Yeah. But, you know, when you don't have a partner, you don't have children, yeah. you don't have someone that looks like you at work, mm-hmm. you really feel like you're on this journey by yourself you could be surrounded by a million people in a huge city like new york and just feel totally alone and so for me it was that moment where i just got to i just fell on my knee and i mean i'm bawling crying Mm -hmm. and i have read this book called sensation and it was about a woman who wanted to do things her way she wanted to sing for the world but the lord was calling her to sing for him Mm -hmm. and so she failed so much in life like her story just was so aligned with my story Mm -hmm. she failed so much in life because she was going against what god had called her to do And then when I finally embraced it and said, well, Crystal, well, you are qualified because your process is what perfected you. Like your process is what's going to show a little girl like you that's in Baltimore City and her dad isn't around. And she's just I mean, you know, and it's like, how can God use you if you don't ever surrender to his work and his will? And so for me, that was my in the valley, just going to Fox and really like having to embrace it. And like, this is where I am, no matter what my cousin did, that's the the, uh, chairman of the NAACP down in the country, um, you know, who said. What you doing at Fox News, girl? And I said, well, that's where God wants me. Yeah. You know, that's where he wants me. That's where he wants me to bring people into the newsroom. Mm -hmm. I was blessed to speak, uh, be on a panel for the Congressional Black Caucus, talking about diversity in television and film and media. Like, what? Yeah. (laughs) You know? And you only get that when you surrender. Like, when you're in the valley and it's just you and God is your only friend, that's when you have that moment where you can't do anything else but hear from him because your your friend aren't calling you anymore right <laughs> or they don't understand or they don't they are exactly they you know you can't go on a date because you work in 5 a.m to 1 p.m and so you know by the time happy hour starts it's time to go to bed um and so i could say that that for me was probably the most um intricate moment in my life the and surrender obedient piece. yes obedience is so important because he can talk to you and you okay i'll do it but 
but you were obedient. And, but it was, and you know, and, and that's so right, Nicole, but it was like the first time in my life that I was. <laughs> everything else was what I wanted to do. Right. You know, everything yeah. else was, I'm going to do things my way because mm-hmm. this is logical. Yeah. You know, we go on these journeys, like you said, people right. telling you, you know, your husband needs to get a job, but you know, yeah. that kind of thing. Me was like, well, I can't be a journalist because I don't know how to do it. So I'm just going to do what's predictable. I'm going to go teach school. I'm going to go to law school mm-hmm. and all these things. But God didn't purpose that in me. He purposed a journalist at 15. Well, maybe at seven. Right. When I first started writing, but I went against it. So it wasn't until that surrender moment that it really made sense. Well, I appreciate both of you for sharing your in the valley moment and for being guests on the woman behind the business. Um, do you want to share some uh, your contact information of how people can stay connected with you? Oh, so we sure. know how to find this book when it comes out. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, well, my email for work is Nicole and I C O L E at the number one dssi.com and um, on social media I am mom in motion because I'm always on the move but it's M-U-M because of the British influence in Trinidad (laughs) so it's M-U-M-I-N-M-O-T-I-O-N and that's my um, name on Twitter and on Facebook I'm just Nicole Commission I'm just me (laughs) Thank you so much, Nicole. Crystal? Uh, You can find me at CB Inspires, as in Crystal Burger, inspires.com. You can send info at CB Inspires. You can find me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, CB Inspires. Um, And please check out the the site because you can go there and get a lot of free gifts. You can get some Mm -hmm. audio to help you get through those moments that you're in the valley, you know. Um, And so you can definitely go there and get free gifts. And I also say if you want to read some of the stuff that I've written and other work, I mean, it's just like a Google away. It's Crystal (laughs) Burger, Fox News, Black Enterprise, all that kind of stuff. Before we wrap up today's episode, we want to leave you with a WBB health tip. This week on WBB Health Tips, we have Dr. Tia Hill in studio with us. And today we are talking about social media overload. Mm -hmm. Now, I know when we first met, you hated social media. Still do. (laughs) (laughs) You were like, I don't even want to be on there. Why? What what is happening? What are you starting to see um, as it relates to social media and how are we becoming overloaded by it? Um, On the psych side, I am seeing a lot of um, infiltration from sex trafficking to people feeling like they don't matter to extreme low self-worth because their picture did not get over a 50 to 75 likes. Wait a second. Is this real? Like people come in complaining about this? Mm Mm-hmm. So self-worth is a very real issue. So if you have low self-esteem and you're looking, seeking for attention and you post a photo that you presume to be attractive or sexy and no one responds to it, you will then feel a form of rejection. Mm-hmm. I think these are things that we don't even think about. That well, or, some people. or you look at it and you're coveting what other people are having. So if you're seeing someone that is going on vacation or having Christmas and opening presents, um, they're with their family for Easter doing spring bake spring break you're looking at that person could be looking at that like wow i've never experienced that then feeling another part of suicidal or depression or just again extremely low self-worth wow that's powerful um now is there anything that we should do personally when we're you know perusing social media should we set time limits that we're actually you know on there like what what are some things that we can do i tell people 
oftentimes, if it's for your business and you know that it's difficult for you, hire someone that can do social media because social media is a job within itself. And it takes a lot to really navigate social media. So if you're in a position, hire someone. The next thing is set time or preset what you're going to have sent. Put on social media. I know that there's different um, apps that you can have those things already Mm -hmm. going out. And then number three, setting a time and knowing that it's okay to not be on social media for a little bit. Not forever, but if you have your business running good, you can take a two or three week break from social media or even a month and your business still go. So, you know, just the balance of it. Thank you for those tips and information to keep us mindful of how to navigate on social media. I greatly appreciate it for sharing all this wealth of knowledge with our audience. Thank you for being here, Dr. Tia. You're welcome. All right. And if you want to hear more social media tips or learn more, visit us online at WBBtalk.com and we will see you next week. All right, that's the show for today. So please be sure to check out past broadcasts on our website, wbbtalk.com, and be sure to follow us on social media at wbbtalk. A special thank you to our show producer, Cal Murdoch, and our program director, Max Myrick. Until next time, stay blessed. <laughs>